My friend Sparling, from the Tuapeka Times, 16th of February, 1889. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. My friend Sparling, a troubled conscience and a haunting presence. Anonymous. I am a manufacturer of and a dealer in gravestones and monuments. There are three men who habitually associate death with business, the doctor, the undertaker, and the tombstone-maker. I have the finer feelings and sentiments of the average man, yet my occupation has led me to regard the great and solemn change chiefly from a business point of view. That men should die has seemed to me as a matter of course, and as a necessary means for the support of myself and family. Still, death may produce a great shock in me, as was the case with that of my friend Sparling. We had been friends from boyhood. He lived near me. My way to and from business led past his house. I met him almost daily. Mutual assistance over some of the hard places of life, a similarity of tastes, and frequent interchange of thought and opinion had endeared each of us to the other. For a week I had been busy with preparations for a long business tour. It was to last three months. The day before my departure I had met Sparling and had said to him, I am going on another tour, lest we should not meet tomorrow. Let us say good-bye now. We separated with a hearty handshake and the friendliest of farewells. I was to take the evening train of the next day. My ticket for Yankatank was in my pocket, my trunk packed, the parting with those at home was over, and the hack was taking me to the station. The afternoon paper was in my hand. I opened it, and the following paragraph caught my eye. Sudden death. As we go to press, the painful news reaches us of the death of our esteemed citizen Ezra Sparling, which occurred at his residence about three o'clock this afternoon. The occurrence will be as startling as painful to his host of friends and acquaintances, as the deceased has apparently been in the best of health. The cause was probably heart disease. Particulars are necessarily deferred till our next issue. The paper dropped from my hand. The shock made me faint for a moment. Sparling. Dead? I could not comprehend it. The hack had just turned into the street on which was his house. I looked at my watch. There was not one moment to spare. Shall I tell the truth? That this certainly gave me great relief just then. I, of all men, should be with the afflicted family in that dark hour, and here was an excellent excuse for the non-performance of the sad duty. I shrank, as all do, from the disagreeable task. The hack went swiftly to the house. The driver knew he had no time to lose. I saw in the twilight that the blinds were closed. Two or three neighbours were on the front steps. I had a glimpse of a woman doing something at the door. Putting crape on the knob, I said to myself, and the scene disappeared like some fleeting picture conjured up by the memory. So my journey was commenced with a heavy heart. I looked about anxiously for somebody who could tell me more about my friend's death. Nobody could. The two or three with whom I was able to exchange a few words about it before the express came and went 
knew what I did, and no more. They had seen the brief newspaper announcement, and that was all. I lay awake two hours that night after my berth in the sleeper was made up, thinking of poor Sparling, of his bereaved family, and what I ought to do in the premises. It was an unusual occasion with me. Nobody, not even a relative, had ever departed and left the gap in my life that this man would leave. Naturally, I began to condemn myself for hastening away as I had done, after learning of Ezra's death. To be sure, my plans were all previously made, and the three days' delay that would be necessary in offering my consolations to the family and attending the funeral would be inconvenient. That was all, merely a little derangement of my plans, not even involving any business loss. I became angry and dissatisfied with myself as these reflections proceeded, and tried to excuse my conduct by the plea that the news had come upon me so suddenly that I had no time for the calm reflection necessary to a change of plan. My conscience was a stern monitor, and would not excuse me so easily. He would never have acted thus towards you, was its comment upon my apologies. I tossed about uneasily, proposed in my mind that I would get off at Dandenong and return home, resolved the next moment that I would do nothing of the kind, but would send long telegram to the widow explaining the necessity of my absence and tendering my sympathy, decided next that this would be an absurd thing to do, and at last fell to sleep with nothing settled. When I awoke, I was three hundred miles from home, I tried to put away all thoughts of sparring and fix my mind on business. It would not do. The man who attempts to fight a battle with his conscience is always in the wrong, always sure of defeat. Moreover, that kind of a contest will exclude everything else from his mind till it is settled. When the train reached its destination, I was conquered. Letting my baggage go on, I left the car and in a fever of impatience walked to the station until I could take a return train. From the probabilities of such occasions, I had settled it in my mind that Sparling would be buried on the afternoon of the third day from that of his death. Timetables were studied, conductors interrogated, and it was made certain that I ought in due course to reach home at three o'clock in the afternoon of that day. That would be a very close thing, I reflected. There would be probably only time for me to take a carriage and join the procession to the cemetery. Much distressed in mind, I resolved to do this if circumstances admitted of nothing more. But even this poor privilege was denied me. There were maddening delays and detentions. It was not until midnight of the third day that I left the train at the home station, my state of mind admits of no description. I feared to learn the truth. I would not inquire if the funeral had yet taken place. There were no carriages there at that hour, and I walked alone through the deserted streets. There was a full moon, and the gas lamps were not lighted. But the time was July, and the foliage often veiled the moonbeams. The force of habit led me through the street where Sparling had lived. I would not think of calling at that untimely hour. I must do in the particulars of the funeral at home. But in my remorseful condition of mind it seemed to me the correct thing to do to walk slowly past the house of the morning and abase my soul before it. 
As I neared the gate, I saw a tall figure leaning on it. The form and the attitude were so familiar to me as to strike me through with terror. I halted abruptly. The face was slowly turned toward me. It looked white in the vague moonlight, pale and very sorrowful. It was Sparling's. I grew cold from head to foot. With what little strength was left me, I tried to cross the street. A timorous glance back over my shoulder showed me that it was following me. Swiftly, straight, it came after me. I could have prayed for wings to fly with me away from the terror of that place. It, what name could I give that thing, overtook me. The pale countenance still looked reproachful, rebukeful. "'For God's sake, Ezra!' I cried. "'Don't come back and haunt me. I was wrong. But you know I have tried.' A smile broke over the sad face, so like his smile. In the sudden revulsion of my feelings, I fainted. Somebody fanned me with a hat. I opened my eyes. It was leaning over me. "'Now what's the matter, Joe?' A familiar voice tearfully inquired. "'I thought you were off three days ago. "'And what do you mean by dodging away from me in this fashion?' "'I sat up. "'Ezra,' I said, grasping his hands in solemn joy, "'you have come back to me as one from the grave. "'Oh! "'You heard the false alarm, did you? "'Nothing but a ridiculous newspaper mistake "'founded on the death of poor old Bunting next door.' He's been dying for two or three years. I couldn't sleep this hot night, so I came out here to get some air. Now you're back and find me alive. Hadn't you better put off your trip till the weather cools? End of my friend Sparling. Recording by Felicity Campbell, book one for me dot com, Whanganui, New Zealand.